Good morning, church. My name is Michael, and this is my lovely daughter, Sadie. And uh, today we have the privilege of reading sacred scripture. This week, we continue studying the authority of Jesus in the book of Mark. Today, we rediscover the power of Jesus to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Only the grace of Jesus leads us to a place of holistic health. The love of Jesus invites you to truly see him and fully hear his word. Join us in reading today's passages from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, and Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ear and after spinning, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The passage I'll be reading is Mark 8, 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is Thank you so much, Michael and Sadie. Great job. Great job. I'm going to move uh, this towel. They gave me a towel. I guess they think we get messy. You guys were so clean. Um, over here. We're going to preach from here this morning. And my greetings again to what you've heard. If you have Bibles, please keep them open to Mark 7 and 8. We're going to look at both of these passages. We're going to see two quick points and uh, six real quick, quick questions that I want you to consider. But uh, just as a setup, I want you to know that uh, my uh, sermon today, these words that I long to be the word of God, blessed by the spirit of God, comes from a place of a real pastoral burden. I, I walk with people, I work with people regularly who are navigating life and they feel like uh, uh, really abandoned. Uh, they, they say, I don't see Jesus in my life and in the world right now. I don't hear God speaking to me in my life. I feel alone in this. This, this is uh, you know, students that are uh, questioning seasons of drought. These are young adults who are, are trying to re-engage faith. These are seasoned adults uh, that are reflecting on their journey of life and are longing to have this deep, inter- intimate relationship with the Lord where they can really hear Christ and really see him. Uh, the power of Jesus alone in an encounter with him on an intimate level is the only way that these things can be uh, obtained, his grace alone. 
Uh, I was reminded this week uh, there was a tremendous uh, uh, opinion piece in the New York Times by a woman named Trish Harrison Warren. She turns out is a Texan uh, and she's a tremendous writer, but she wrote on how to navigate COVID fatigue, the uh, inability to really hear and recognize truth with so many different voices, the uh, difficulty of seeing around the corner, having all kinds of surprises personally, uh, having to change plans and grieve loss, having different social stresses. Uh, These things are leading to uh, a, a, a collective fatigue in our culture. And the main point of her opinion piece this week was that we don't need to use our difficulties to justify the anger and the impatience that comes from our hearts. And she uses scripture and C.S. Lewis in the New York Times to compel us to find what she calls, and she's quoting Lewis, the best versions of ourselves. And she challenges us to have a larger view using the narrative of scripture and the promises of God to not allow our circumstances to shape us more than the hope that we profess. And specifically, she anchors that. And when you belong to God, you know you have a very sure future of eternity. And I would say, I would add to that, that we, if we belong to God, we have a very secure promise that he is with us. And oftentimes we miss the power of his presence because we're looking at things that are not him. We're we're finding our hope and hearing things that don't come from him. So we miss the the promises that he gives and his presence that is with us. But God's grace gives us new ground where we can see Jesus freshly, hear his words from our heart, and truly find gospel highest and best for ourselves, the highest and best, the best version of ourselves that God has. So before we come to the word, let's go to the Lord of the word in prayer together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the person of Jesus. We thank you for his power and his promises. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to speak to us now. We long to be transformed, conformed more and more into your image, to revere you on a deeper level, that we might resemble you with our lips and our lives and our labor and all of our love. Lord, help us to have eyes to see what we need to remove and turn from uh, so that we can have a more intimate and full encounter with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The context is that Jesus has been having a a difficult debate, a fight with the Pharisees uh, all through chapter 7, and they've been arguing over what truly cleanses a person. The Pharisees think on the outside, and Jesus actually had gone to the outside of uh, what they considered clean, to a Gentile area, and had encountered a Syrophoenician woman where that showed that the faith that really cleanses us is an inside faith that leads to a new heart. 
that is put within us. Uh, and he now goes to Gentile territory again, the Decapolis, the Decapolis, it's 10 city area. And then he goes to Bethsaida, which is just a fun city to say. Uh, he goes there and he, he's furthering uh, his authenticity, the authenticating that he has of the authority of his message as king. Now we'd already seen the advancement of the announcement of the king that went through uh, the apostles and King Jesus is now taking this to Gentile territory. The first thing that we see in the first section of verses is that Jesus alone can give us ears to hear. Look at the passage. It says, uh, then he returned from the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is where he met the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought him a man who was deaf. They, uh, it is unclear who they are, the people of this region, brought him, we don't know his name, but he was a deaf and, it says, a mute man. He had a speech impediment. And they brought him to Jesus, and look at the, look at the passion that's here, the zeal of verse 32. They begged Jesus. They begged him to lay his hands on him. Now, if you look in your passage, you see this word speech impediment. And this is a significant word, and I, I can't say it better than one commentator said about this passage. He said that Mark uses an extremely rare word for this man's speech impediment. It's a Greek word, uh, Maggie, <laughs> Maggie Lalan. It has two L's in there, Maggie, Maggie Lalan. Uh, not Mandalorian for all you Star Wars fans. Um, but this word is really rare, and it's used in the Old Testament in a very specific place. It's particular to this, Isaiah 35.5. The passage describes the coming of the future kingdom of God and what the king will look like. And it says, Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be unstopped, then the lame will be like a deer, and, here it is, the mute tongues will shout for joy. And there's a very clear connection between the description of this man who's encountering King Jesus and the ancient anticipation of the kingdom of God that would come through the true king. It's this passage, if you're a him fan, uh, not, not to be like a, a gender offensive uh, as opposed to a her fan, but a him fan like old, old hymns in the church, right? H-Y-M-N, a him fan. Charles Wesley wrote a lot of hymns and he wrote one line uh, that I love. Uh, Hear him ye deaf, his praise you dumb, you loosened tongues employ, you blind behold your savior come and leap ye lame for joy. Callan, you taking trials, buddy? I'm ready. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. That was the worst version you've ever heard. And you're wishing. I wish I, did. I, wish I had ears that could not hear at that time. Well, listen, the action of Jesus in approaching this man in Gentile territory is an announcement of the arrival of the long-anticipated future kingdom. And look what Jesus does. Rather than this really loud, pompous proclamation, they begged him to lay hands on him. And it said, it says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. Now there's several things that are common to both of these stories. Both happen in Gentile territory. Both have to do with uh, a healing of perception organs, ears, and eyes. 
Uh, Both of them involve contact and touch. Both of them involve Jesus taking these people aside in privately, privately touching them, an intimate touch. And it says he took them aside from the crowds. He put his fingers into the ear and after spitting, touched his tongue. What did it say? (laughs) Spitting. Another thing that's common to both of these stories is that Jesus uses his saliva to bring healing. That's really foreign for us. In our Sunday school class, we had a couple of doctors and we asked, it's a deep end class, uh, what would happen in your practice if someone came in and they were sick and you were like, no problem. (laughs) There we go. Go in peace. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why Jesus uh, gave like a a love loogie to both of these dudes. I don't get it. The spitting savior that we have. But I do know that in different cultures and even in the ancient Near East, it was more accepted uh, for there to be saliva and used in healing practices. Uh, We used to live in Indonesia uh, as missionaries for a few years. And one island in Indonesia is called Sulawesi. And there's a really famous area in that, uh, that island called Taraja. And our family was in Taraja, and we were, I'll just say the story involved bamboo and machetes, uh, and then my thumb getting cut really, really bad. I'll just spare you the details, but I'm glad my thumb is still here. It didn't have to be. The guy that was with us as a translator, you know what the first thing he did? He told us to calm down, stay still. He picked up a certain kind of grass. He started chewing it and chewing it and chewing. He's like, I was like, what's going on? It's going to fall. He takes it out, totally soaked in his saliva, and he puts it on there. And he said, hold it on there. It will make it better. And I'm thinking... What kind of diseases am I going to get? I mean, this is pre-COVID, and I was super anxious, right? But saliva is used for healing, even by Jesus and in other cultures and in other places and other time periods. And Jesus touches him intimately. But what's amazing is he puts his fingers in the ear of this man, and he cries to heaven, be opened! And the guy's ears were healed. He could hear. His tongue was loosened. It could sing praise. Uh, It's unbelievable to me. And if you look down at the passage, looking to heaven, he he sighed. He said, Apathatha, that is be open. And his ears were open. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. Verse 36. uh, Verse 37. Jump to 37. Look at this. And they were astonished beyond measure. What a great phrase. Astonished. Beyond measure, how excited were you? I don't know. I couldn't even, couldn't contain it. Couldn't measure it. Totally astonished at the work of the king and the the revelation that is seen in Jesus. We're astonished at the leftovers that immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine that's seen provided for in the loaves of fishes. And we're astonished beyond measure at his power to bring healing. Jesus alone is the one that gives ears to hear and tongues to speak. But also, Jesus alone is the one that can make eyes to see. Look at the second pericope. It's in chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and make sure you're turned. This one's a little shorter for us. But uh, the second one, it really helps us. The first one challenges us. If we really have tongues that have been touched and ears that have been touched by Christ. uh, But do we see the light that Jesus has that he wants to give to all. 
with, that have new hearts. They came to Bethsaida, Bethsaida verse 27. Uh, they is uh, the disciples. They, some people brought Jesus again, a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. Uh, some people are unnamed. The blind, the blind man is unnamed, but I want you to pay attention at how high the expectations were. They begged Jesus to touch him. The expectation that if Jesus could just touch this man, that he would see. And you know what's amazing is that Jesus touches him. But the first time he touches him isn't so he sees. It is so that he can take him by his hand. Look at this. He took the blind man by his hand. And again, he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked him, do you see anything? So oftentimes when we come to Jesus, our hearts are disappointed because our expectations don't meet our experience. These men came and they said, Jesus, please heal him. Except they said it a lot more intentionally. Jesus, please touch him. Jesus, please touch him. Jesus, please touch him. Please touch our friend Jesus. Please, please, please. We're begging you incessantly over and over again, present tense, touch him so he'll be healed. And in that moment of high expectation, coming to Jesus with deep faith, Jesus touches the man, but he grabs his hand. He grabs his hand to walk with him away from them. Jesus moves towards this personal touch and personal relationship that goes beyond this transactional expectation. Jesus, I'm here. You do this. Give us that so we can go on our way and make life better. Jesus touches us, but he does so in a way where he grabs his hand and he wants to walk with us. And he goes to this place and this process is revealed. Jesus spits again and he rubs it in his eyes. And then he asked the guy, this is amazing to me. He asked the guy, well, now look at the question. Do you see anything? Did Jesus have to do this in two phases? Did he? Can I ask you again? Did Jesus have to do this in two phases? Did he have to ask the guy, do you see anything? No, he didn't. But he did. Why in the world would he do this? And then the man says, and I wish I knew how he said it. He says, well, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And I don't know if he said that like in excitement. I see people. They look like trees. Or if he said it in disappointment. I see people and they look like trees, Jesus. Like, I thought you could do more than this. You're spitting on me. I thought I could see more clearly. Hello, King Jesus. I don't think he was mocking like that. But I do think that Jesus was walking him through this process to deepen his faith. Because it, it cannot be the faith of friends that bring us to Christ that gives us eyes to see. It cannot be the faith of family to save anyone. We, do it, we, do, we baptize children because we celebrate God's faithfulness, but we don't do it. Walker's not saved now. He has to be raised in the promises of God. And we pray together that he'd have a saving faith from his heart. There's like everybody has to be their own child of God. And we do that by faith. And Jesus touches this guy a second time. And he's like me, you know, the first time with my, without my reading glasses, I can't read a thing. Uh, <laughs> um, until I put my glasses on, Jesus touches him a second time. And look what he says. His eyes, his sight was restored and he saw clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. You know, 
there's lots of reasons why Jesus might have healed in two phases. One, I think, and we'll talk about this in a second, I think he was illustrating the slowness of the disciples to really get who Jesus was. We're going to see in a minute that Peter answers a question wrongly, or not fully and completely, he answers it partially on who Jesus is. But he's so focused on, on, on human power and authority that uh, he's off to the extent where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So that's generally not the right answer when Jesus responds that way. But God is so gracious and he's so patient as his disciples are on a journey to understand. Also, I think it could illustrate two phases of a kingdom, that Jesus comes partially, the already reality of the first time Jesus comes, in one day, as, the, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, what we see now partially will one day fully and clearly see. There's a second coming of Christ where his kingdom will be fully consummated. It could be that, as I noted, that he's helping this guy have his own faith, that he's in an intimate place with him uh, and he's walking him through this process to deepen his faith so he understands. Uh, it could be that he wants his disciples to know and everybody who reads this that Jesus is willing and desirous to touch his people a second time. Now, this is where we began our sermon. I have a real pastoral burden because I walk with a lot of people that think they're too far gone, that their sin is too great, that they've messed up so much, that they're in the wilderness and they can't hear God, they can't see God, and they draw an illogical conclusion that therefore God must not love me anymore. But Jesus is really clear. He wants to touch a second time and a third time. And that for us to have eyes to see, hearts to believe, ears to hear, it doesn't come from our own moral performance, but by his grace and his touch alone. Jesus has not abandoned his people. He's not abandoned you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And this takes us to uh, what I hope that we can see as a first prez family. Okay? The first thing is that people need to be brought to Jesus. We live in a world, and even in our own church, family, where people have eyes that they do not see and ears, but they do not hear. And Jesus is the only one that can bring the healing. We need to bring people to Christ. You have friends, you have family members, you have people in your life that need the healing touch of Jesus. And only Jesus can do it. And God has chosen, for some reason, his people that is you, everyone who believes to be his primary vehicle to show and share his love and to lead people to him. Who is it that's in your life? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're here, and this is our second point. Maybe you're here, or you're hearing this, or watching this, and you're wondering, can Jesus really touch me? I mean, I've wandered really far off. I've done things that I would never say, especially in church. I've been places that I don't want to admit. I've seen things and looked at things that I'll, I'll never confess. Can Jesus touch me a second time? I grew up in the church. I went to confirmation. I was baptized. But I don't really hear and see Jesus. This message is for you. Jesus longs to touch you. Jesus longs to heal you. Jesus longs 
to satisfy your soul so that, in the words of the uh, op-ed article that I mentioned in the New York Times, so that you can find the highest self that God has for you. You can be the best version of yourself. But third, hard hearts are softened only with the love and the grace of Jesus. All of us struggle with different hardening of our hearts. And it's important for us to understand uh, that it's not spit or anything externally that we do that softens our heart, but it's spirit, the spirit of God that comes inside of us and helps us to recognize that which we're revering and worshiping that isn't him so that we can repent and we can turn and we can have new hearts from Christ with eyes to see and ears to hear. It's really interesting if you look at the context of this passage. We're not going to um, go real deep into this. We did in our, in our sermon discussion class. But if you look down, if you have your Bibles, at ver- chapter 8, verse 18, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he says this to them. He says, uh, we'll start at 17, into 17. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Now, ultimately in Scripture, we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, we know that it's, it's, it's the enemy, the, the ruler, the prince of this world, Paul calls him, that hardens hearts. But he does that uh, through just setting us and allowing us to follow our heart's desire in idolatry. And so we know that the idols of our hearts, that which we revere, we worship things that, that have eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear. Uh, they, they have uh, tongues but can't speak. And we become like them. It's, the, it's Psalm 115 uh, verses 1 to 8 played out before us. But Jesus alone, in his grace alone, his spirit, is what gives us an opportunity to have new hearts. Hearts that really receive. To have new ears and new eyes that really see and really hear. And so, fourth, all of us have the invitation to remember. Remember what God has done. To repent and to return and to refocus. All of us are invited on the ground of God's grace to begin again. Now, when Paul is ending Acts, he uses the, the, the passage from Isaiah chapter 6 that Jesus alludes to uh, in verse 18 of this context. And he uses it to describe God's motivation to take the gospel beyond Israel, fulfilling Isaiah 49.6. It's too small a thing for the gospel, the light to just be among God's people, but it's intended for all nations. And the motivation for that is that people have ears in Israel that do not hear and eyes that do not see and hearts that do not receive. But the invitation is for all of those outside of Israel to repent, to remember, and to return. And here's what I want you to do. This is really practical. If, you're, if you've been wandering from God, if you've been running from God, uh, if you think you've been hiding from God, I just want to challenge you to come to your senses and repent and return. If you walk with God, if you have a personal relationship with God, and Jesus Christ is walking through, grabbing your hand, I want to challenge you to allow your hearts to hope in him and his word first. To allow your ears to hear his word to you first every day. To allow your eyes to to look upon him first every day. I really believe that Christians have a poverty of discipleship because we're allowing our hearts to hear the empty headlines of our culture 
and we're allowing our eyes to see texts, emails, and social media at the beginning of the day, and we, we begin to re resemble that which we worship through all of that. So if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to just, really practical, don't begin your day looking at your phone. Begin your day looking in the Word. Don't begin your day hearing the headlines of this world. Begin your day by hearing the promises of Jesus. Get in his word and allow your heart, your ears and your eyes to really be saturated by our Savior, not his saliva, but his spirit. And if you don't hear him or see him and you begin your day like that every day, I'm just going to say, start asking the Lord, would you please show up? Please speak to me. Please meet me personally. Nobody's too far gone. Uh, there's so much I have in here about Acts chapter 10 and, and Mark and, and Mark and Peter who were in Cornelius's place, but we just have to go to the end here. Verse, the last thing I want you to see. All of us can find the best version of ourselves uh, because we know the end of the story. And we know Jesus wins in the end. The person who is with us, he gives us promises, chief of which is, I am with you always even until the end of the age. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly. But one day, we know the end. Then we will see face to face. Now we know in part. But one day we shall know fully, even as we're fully known. Jesus sees everything in your heart. He still loves you. And he invites you to walk with him to have ears to hear and eyes to see. May our tongues be loosened for his praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your love for us. We thank you for your work and your word. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that have never put their faith in you to be their savior. Would you draw them to yourself and by your spirit give them new hearts? Lord, for those that have wandered far off and that are fearful of what it looks like to make a decision to really come back to you, to come to their senses, would you strengthen them with your spirit? Lord, those that are broken by the burdens of this world, uh, would they have a, an overwhelming blessing of your unconditional love for them in Christ? And Lord, for those that are here today that walk with you and want to be your disciples, Lord, would you help them to be intentional, help us to be intentional by hearing you first, seeing you first, taking you up on the invitation to go off with you privately so that we can know you more fully and serve you more faithfully. Lord, in all things, we ask that you'd be pleased to get glory in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word through worship.